I remember as a child some of my favorite times uh, around Christmas and other times was uh, spent listening to stories. You like stories? I like stories. Uh, My favorite elementary school teacher was a lady by the name of Miss Petrie. Miss Petrie uh, taught me in third grade, and I have fond memories of her. It's interesting, though, a few cards. Y'all know what report cards are? Okay, maybe you're okay. Report cards from my third grade year in Miss Petrie's class. And Miss Petrie, my favorite elementary school teacher, gave me C's in conduct. Now, I don't even know if you still have grades in conduct or not, but some of you school teachers know you got to be pretty rowdy to get a C in conduct. So as I remembered Miss Petrie finally, obviously she didn't think so much of me. But the thing I remember about Miss Petrie was after lunch every day, we would come in and we could rest as she would read to us. Now, Miss Petrie read with a purpose. She read to us different stories, but the thing, the one I remember most is Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I was introduced to young Christian and his journey to the celestial city, a beautiful allegory of the Christian life. And I remember that vividly with my head on my desk, sometimes resting, but always listening and hearing what was going on. I want to tell you some 25 years later, from my third grade year, there was another teacher, her name was Miss Deal, who read to her fourth grade class in Birmingham. Miss Deal had an after lunch policy of reading her students a story. The students, like Miss Petrie's class, had a choice, either of putting their heads down on their desk and resting or listening to the story as she read. The story she was reading on this particular occasion was the Chronicles of Narnia, by C.S. Lewis. And this particular story was the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. This is an allegory very similar to the one Miss Petrie read to us as Pilgrim's Progress. But while other kids were passed out with their heads on their desks, one little boy sat riveted, intently listening to the reading of the story. The story You know, it was about Peter and Susan and Lucy and Edmund in the land of Narnia where it was continually winter under the control of the wicked white witch. In this story, the little boy Edmund committed a horrendous act of betrayal and he had wickedly and deeply wronged his family. Edmund, at this point in the story, the central character Aslan, who is the lion, stands in Edmund's place. As this story was being read, this little fourth grade boy was riveted to this story. He had never heard of anything like this. So Aslan, the lion, stands in Edmund's place. He was tortured and eventually dies for the evil act of betrayal the boy had committed. Before dying, he was muzzled and his mane was cut, tortured, and then he died, and he was, as he was uh, roped and tied down to a table there. But the next morning, in the story, Aslan rose from the dead to prove himself victorious over the evil witch and ultimately defeating all his enemies. When Miss Deal finished reading the story, 
this little fourth grade boy said in his heart, I wish that was real. This little boy knew that he had done things wrong. He knew that he had mistakes that needed to be atoned for. Growing up in a home, he had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his heart, he said, when hearing about Aslan, I wish that was real. It was at that point that God began to woo this little fourth grade boy to himself. A few years later at Circlewood Baptist Church, he would hear the gospel and give his heart to Jesus. That fourth grade boy was our son-in-law, David Keziah. And I ask his permission to share that story this morning because Aslan was an allegory. Narnia is not a real place of Jesus Christ in Columbia, South Carolina. David says, Narnia nudged me into a position to see the real king, the real savior, the one who conquered real death. This is the one my heart had been searching for my entire life. C.S. Lewis writes, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his breath, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Without Aslan, C.S. Lewis writes, we always have winter, but never Christmas. Church, this morning, the truth is without the resurrection, there's always winter, but never Christmas. There is a resurrection though, amen? And we can celebrate today. We're going to have today uh, Easter in December, (laughs) Easter at Christmas, because we cannot complete the Christmas story without the story of the resurrection. The resurrection gives us all a reason to rejoice, especially at Christmas. We can rejoice because the story of King Jesus includes the story of his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is his ultimate victory, which leads to our rejoicing. His victory comes through humiliation. He suffered and died as Kobe preached last Sunday. His victory comes through humiliation, but his victory also comes through power, the power to overcome the grave, the power to conquer death. King Jesus is no ordinary king, no ordinary king. He is a king who experienced death, but three, later, three days later rose from the grave robbing death of its victory and securing the king's ultimate victory. So that's what we want to look at this morning, the king's ultimate victory. Without the resurrection, it would always be winter, but never Christmas. Look with me in Matthew chapter 1. This is where we find the mission of the king. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Why did she call his name Jesus? Because his name means the Lord's salvation. You shall call his name Jesus. Look at verse 21. Because he will save his people from their sins. That was his mission. Turn with me now to Matthew 28. And here in Matthew's gospel, the 28th chapter, verses 1 through 10, we see the means of salvation. How would Jesus save his people from their sins? There have been a lot of kings born. There have been a lot of kings who lived, even performed miracles. There have been a lot of kings who died and died for a great cause. But Jesus is no ordinary king. Matthew chapter 28. And the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake, earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. Here's the key. He is not here for he has risen just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for the mission of the king who came to save his people from their sin. Father, thank you for the death of the king who died for our sin. But God, this morning we rejoice and thank you for the resurrected king, the one who conquered death and lives forever, the one who offers life to us in his name. God, I pray today as we celebrate, as we rejoice during this season of the year, God, may we remember we serve a risen Savior. We serve a king who reigns today, tomorrow, and forever. God, we thank you for King Jesus. Lord, bless us now as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. His victory comes to us through humiliation, and his victory comes to us through power. He is not here, the angel says, for he has risen just as he said. The king's mission begins in chapter 1. And it's completed in chapter 28. So this morning, we're looking at the ultimate victory of the king. Matthew 28 records that for us. But this morning, the question I want to ask is, what does this victory mean for us? Our worship guide, everything mean for us. A couple things you'll see in your outline there, very simple. In your worship guide, a very simple outline. Three things I want to mention this morning. First of all, his victory conquers death. His victory conquers death. Death has been a frequent visitor here 
at Alberta Baptist recently. Many of you know what the sting of death of the grave feels like. But I want you to know this morning that Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the death is still present, but death is not all powerful. So many songs have been written, so many allegories like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Pilgrim's Progress. So many different things have been written about Jesus conquering death. I, I want to share with you a poem this morning that I thought really speaks to this. It's by Elwood McQuaid, entitled, Death Meets His Master. Father Time met pale King Death sitting by a tomb. Not yet, Katie. That's the punchline. Okay, thank you, thank you. I'll give you this, or this, or this, this. Okay, all right. Father Time met pale King Death sitting by a tomb. Hello, old friend. I guess you're here to seal somebody's doom. You might say that, said Death, as a smile slid up his face. Inside that tomb rests Jesus' man, who said he'd save the race. Father Time said, well, why are you guarding just one grave with all your vast domain? Seems like you'd be out rambling around and smiting folks with pain. Death said, well, this one's something special. He challenged me, they say. Said he'd rest here just three days, then stir and walk away. Now, I'm the conqueror, you know. They don't talk up to me. When I step in to cut them down, it's for eternity. Father Time shows up later. This is a long poem. I'm sparing you a lot. But he shows up later, and death is all crumpled up, lying on the ground. What happened, death, said Father Time? What makes you look so bad? I've never seen you shake this way or look so scared and sad. I was sitting here before the dawn, about to take my stroll, when all at once, this whole wide world began to reel and roll. That great big stone jumped off the door and skipped on down the hill. Then everything grew dark and quiet, seemed like the whole earth stood still. Then I saw him standing at the door. He didn't move or speak, just looked at me. And all at once, I felt so tired and weak. He came and got a hold of me and he threw me to the ground. He put his foot here on my neck and he took my keys and my crown. Two angels came to talk with him. They glistened like the sun. Jesus said, the plan's all finished. Redemption's work is done. Time and death met once again, off yonder by the gate. How are you, death? asked Father Time. I'm just a servant now. There's little time to roam. I just open up this old gate 
and help the saints go home. Amen. Death has met his master. Death was the consequence of sin. In order for Jesus to fulfill his mission, to save his people from their sin, he had to conquer the great enemy, the enemy of death. And he did. Death has been conquered. His resurrection is evidence of the fact that he is victorious. He is the king of kings. His is the ultimate victory, and it is ours through faith in his name. His victory conquers death. His victory gives meaning to life. Number two, believing in the resurrection is the key to experiencing life in his name. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, we throw the word saved around a lot, probably not as much now as we did when I was growing up, but what are we saved from? Where we're saved from the penalty of our sin, our, the punishment of our sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. Not just physical death, that's a part of sin's curse, but spiritual death and eternal separation from God. But if we will confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. It's interesting. We don't believe in our heart that Jesus walked on water. We don't believe in our heart that Jesus was born of a virgin. We don't believe in our heart that Jesus calmed the seas. And he did all those things. But the miracle of miracles that distinguishes Jesus from all other kings and prophets and teachers is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And because of his death, he conquered death, he offers life to us. So the resurrection is one of the keys we find in having in finding life in his name. But listen to this. Believing in the resurrection is also the key to living living life in his name. See, we cannot live the Christian life on our own power. The power of Christ in us is the power of the living Christ. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and that's what salvation is. We die to ourselves. He said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is the power of the resurrected Christ who lives in us. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 4, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. This is when we recognize our way's not cutting it. Our life is not fulfilling. We die to ourselves. We say no to self and yes to Jesus. And baptism is a picture of dying to ourself. But Paul says, not only do we die to ourselves, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. What does that mean? That all true believers have experienced death and resurrection. We've died to ourself. We've died to our old nature. Living, We have been born again by the power of God. And we've said yes to the living Christ. And it is the living Christ, the resurrected Christ, who lives in us, who empowers us to live the Christian life. New life is ours because of the resurrection. We don't have to be controlled by sin. 
We don't have to live under the mastery of sin. Romans 6 says this, verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. There's another king who wants to reign. But we do not have to let sin reign in our mortal body because of King Jesus so that you may obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God, listen to me, as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So the resurrection is the key for us to living the Christian life. Our old life is dead. Our new life is made available because of the resurrection of Jesus. Our new life includes a new heart. We get a new heart when we come to Jesus. We get a new mind. We do not you know, conform our mind to this world, but our mind is transformed by the power of God's word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We get a new heart. We get a new mind. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we become a new creation. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Why and how? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus offers us new life in his name. We died to sin. We were buried in baptism, picturing that death. But now we are raised to walk in a new life. His victory gives meaning, new meaning to life. Because we have, in Christ, new life. The third thing, quickly, his victory assures us of our inheritance. Having conquered death and given us new life, he gives us an eternal inheritance, which I'm simply going to call hope. Hope. But Peter says this, 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the means. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This inheritance is amazing. First of all, it's permanent. It will never perish or spoil or fade. And it's also very personal. It's reserved in heaven for you. For you. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance. How do you receive an inheritance? Somebody dies, obviously. But you have to be born into the family. You can't earn an inheritance. An inheritance is a gift. And through the resurrection of Christ, God offers us an eternal inheritance. As a part of the body of Christ, we have something that the world desperately needs, and that's hope. That's hope. There are people today who are hurting and find themselves in what they would call a hopeless marriage. There are people today who are frustrated and they think, I'm in a hopeless job. There's some people very discouraged and, and even frightened because they find themselves with a hopeless health situation. But Peter wrote, our hope is as secure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That's the message of the gospel, that life is difficult, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. Gilbert Benkin wrote, other men see only a hopeless end, but the Christian rejoices in an endless hope. Other men see only a hopeless end, but the Christian rejoices in an endless hope. And that's the reason we rejoice. We have hope. Without the resurrection, it would always be winter and never Christmas. I said earlier, the king's mission began in chapter 1, is completed in Matthew chapter 28. Yes and no. There's one more chapter to be written, and that's his return. And we're going to look at that next, next Sunday. Drew Tunnell, one of our college interns, will be celebrating and leading us as we actually look to the return of the king. But let's wrap up this morning. This story is a story that's real. It's a story that involves a king who died for you, a personal story, who died in your place, in my place. He died to atone for our sin, the mistakes that we've made. He voluntarily laid down his life to pay the penalty for our sin. This king conquered death. He rose again as king of life and death. Those who believe in him have life and the promise of an eternal inheritance in his kingdom. That's the story of Christmas. Without the resurrection, it would be always winter, but never Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for one who came and lived, who died a cruel death to take our place, who died for our sin. By his blood, we have been cleansed. Father, thank you for one who died and rose again. Through his resurrection, he has declared victory over death and offers life, eternal life, to all who believe. Father, I pray this morning, if there's one here that does not know Christ and know life in his name, that today would be the day that they would admit their own sin, recognize that they need a Savior, believing that Jesus is that Savior who died on the cross for their sin, trusting in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, identifying with Christ so much so that his death becomes our death, his burial is our burial, his resurrection is our resurrection as we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for the Christmas season, a season that offers hope to the hopeless. But there is no hope apart from the gospel. Without the resurrection, always winter, but never Christmas. Father, thank you for what you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please stand with me as we sing our hymn of invitation and close our service.